Hi, my name is Joan Devine, and I'm the Director of Education of Pioneer Network. I'd like to welcome you to the 13th edition of Pioneer Network's Listen, Learn, Explore. Know each person, you bring the passion, Pelly brings the process. Our special guest today is Dr. Katie Abbott from Miami University and the Scripps Gerontology Center in Oxford, Ohio. Katie, let me start by sharing how great it is to work with you. I, I truly do love working with you. Uh, something that Pioneer Network and I personally have had many opportunities to do over the past years. You've shared resources and training with the network through our website resource library. You've done webinars. You've written articles for our newsletter. Uh, you've been a guide at numerous Pioneer Network conferences, those get-togethers that we are all we're also so excited that you're now joining us for one of our newest educational and networking resources our learn listen learn explore podcast series as you know we've designed these to be short informational we know that pelly you and pelly have been great advocates and supports for pioneer network for many years and are so grateful for that your efforts to research the best ways to us to assess and honor resident preferences using the Preferences for Everyday Living Inventory, or PELI as it's known for short, have been monumental to those working with seniors. For listeners who don't know, the PELI is an assessment tool specifically designed to be used to learn about what's important for residents and clients in, in aging services. A wonderful tool to support two of my favorite Pioneer Network principles, know each person, and relationships are the fundamental building block of a transformed culture. It is the first tool of its kind to pass rigorous scientific testing. I understand you published in over a dozen peer-reviewed manuscripts related to its reliability, validity, and stability. You've tested and refined the Pelly with nursing home residents, assisted living residents, adult day health, and home care clients. So really across the spectrum. Your team continues to adopt the, to adapt the tool, and it's all, others continue to adopt it um, <laughs> with a diverse populations of older adults, including LGBTQ. It's an impressive record. It truly is. Yeah, thanks so much, Joan. I'm just delighted to be here with you today and share some, some things that we're working on. We've really devoted our careers to working with providers to shift care from a medical model to a more person-centered model. And quite frankly, I find it frustrating that providers are required to comply with person-centered care regulations and given no resources or support to do that work. They can be reimbursed for giving a pill, but learning how to provide person-centered care requires tools and training that are not reimbursable. The fact that this responsibility falls completely on provider shoulders is not fair, and we want to be part of the solution, and we want to have the providers' backs. What a great, what a great goal, Katie, and providers, you're lucky to have Katie having your back. You know, I think that it comes through loud and clear in your work, too, and, and, and also here at Pioneer Network, we, we just couldn't agree more. Uh, Person-centered care doesn't just happen because you believe in it. There has to be a process behind the passion. And for providers, the challenge can come in developing and implementing those processes. That's where you're there to help. The Preference-Based Living website has so many incredible resources for providers, and they're offered at no cost, right? You got it. So we've been very fortunate to receive generous funding that supports our work and enables us to offer materials at no cost. We've struggled 
with some people saying, well, if it's free, it must not be very good. But in reality, there have been millions of dollars invested in conducting the research, working with stakeholders to make sense of our findings, creating best practice recommendations, and developing the tools to support providers. It's pretty impressive. I have to tell you, I love the, the PAL code tool. Um, it's so effective at communicating resident important preferences. It's simple in design. It's easy to read. Um, it, it just works. Uh, for people. Tell, tell us what you've heard from other providers that are using the PAL cards, particularly through the pandemic. Yeah, it's a great question. And this is just one of the things we we developed with providers. We worked side by side with them to develop the PAL cards. And so we've been working throughout the pandemic with providers, and we've been offering virtual one-to-one -one coaching, specifically on quality improvement efforts to help providers conduct a pilot process where they make, <clears throat> excuse me, PAL cards or preference for activity and leisure cards for 15 to 20 of their residents. And the idea behind PAL cards came from a provider who wanted to communicate important resident preferences across their community. Instead of having the information just live in a binder on a shelf that no one reads. So there are lots of examples on our website just search for PAL cards when you go to preferencebasedliving.com. And while we've had some providers tell us that they would be too overwhelmed to try and make PAL cards right now, we've had others who've capitalized on the need to communicate important preferences during a time when residents are isolated and perhaps being taken care of by staff who may not know them well. One provider told us that it was the perfect activity for her to do with isolated residents and that other staff expressed how helpful the PAL cards were. And we've had providers attach PAL cards to purple tote bags that remained with that individual. And when they have COVID outbreaks, staff you know, are limited in their ability to go into rooms. And so inside the bag, she would include items that were kept separate just for that resident, such as headphones and a CD player with preferred music, large print Sudoku puzzles, scented lotions or snacks. And those have been incredibly helpful for the providers. Uh, suggestions from their direct care workers, the CNAs were vital to that project. Um, and PAL cards can also be used by staff to quickly help a resident who's communicating distress. They can read the PAL card and know what to talk to them about. So for example, we heard from one provider where um, an individual was very res resistant to bathing. And if they started talking about the local apple butter festival, they could enjoy the bathing activity while reminiscing with the resident. And it was no longer an issue. So we've even heard from providers who've told us that family have asked for their loved one's PAL cards after they pass away to be used to write the obituary. And some have even read the PAL card at the obituary, so or at the funeral. And so, you know, again, the goal is to support staff in being able to quickly start a conversation and find something that they have in common with the resident. And this contributes to relationship building, better care, and better quality of life for everyone. I love this. And, and I have to tell you, Katie, I, when you talk about using them in the obituary, what a, what, a, what a testimony to the work that the care team is doing um, in providing this information and how not only does it value them at the time, but obviously has deep meaning for the family. And it's a 
challenging time for families when you have a loved one who's living in a, in a community setting. And, and I think it also reminds me of that, you know, how important knowing is, how many of us have learned something new about someone when we read their obituary. Um, we want to get to know people. It, that shouldn't be a surprise. So what a nice twist that instead of being the person who learns things in the obituary, we are the ones that have information to provide to share the story of who that person was. That's just a really, really cool bonus. It's very, very heartwarming. I agree. It is. All of this is, is so impressive. But you know, in today's world, things are tough. Uh, so I'm I'm guessing that you have run across some barriers that you've heard from providers in terms of using the PAL cards. You better believe it. And we try to learn from providers. We want to know what their pain points are so that we can work to find solutions to, re to remediate those pain points. And one thing we've learned that it was taking time to complete the PELI via paper and pencil and then convert that information into a PAL card using our downloadable template in a, you know, as a Word document. So we've been working for several years on a software application to move this process into the digital world. We call the application Compass 16, and it stands for Care Preference Assessment of Satisfaction. And it uses the 16 preference items from the minimum data set, which are also items from the PELI. We worked with Tennessee Tech University to develop the prototype and then recently started working with Link Senior to scale up the software. And Compass 16 automates the interview process. So it allows you to capture specific information or bright spots, if you will, that you would want to have on a PAL card. Then the software also has a PAL card generator feature. It takes the information you've entered and converts it to the template for editing. And then you can simply print it, show it to the resident or family to make sure it's correct. And then you can laminate it and attach it to a walker or a wheelchair or, or some other location that works for your community. Wow, this is this is phenomenal. You know, I, I think through COVID, one of the bright spots and and though sometimes they're hard to see, there have been bright spots. One of them has been how we have embraced technology and, and shame on us if we don't continue to maximize that. Um, this is a wonderful, wonderful way that you have taken technology and, and made this workable, uh, make this just easier um, for the team to do and less time. And those are Time is a, such a precious commodity in our community. So, I, and I love the deep knowing and the sharing and the information that the Pell cards generate. That said, I'm still guessing there are some providers out there thinking HIPAA. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we? Isn't that the, the word that we all dread? Yep. And, and I'm guessing you've thought about that too as, as you've developed the process. And so I'm assuming this is HIPAA compliant, is it? It's another great question, yes. So we have consulted with multiple lawyers and HIPAA privacy officers who have all explained to us that preferences for leisure and recreation are not protected health information, like a birth date or a diagnosis would be. And we've also had information you know, from these groups that have suggested that providers place the cards with consent from the resident or family to just take one more step um, to make sure that it's okay for this information to be out in public. Some people may be very private. This may not be for every single person and that's okay too. So if somebody, most of the people 
that, that have been interviewed and created PAL cards are delighted. We've had people even cry when they've seen their PAL card because they're just so, they're so touched that someone took the time to get to know them. However, we know that there are probably individuals who don't want to share that information with others. And so if the present resident can provide consent, seeking consent, if the resident can't, then maybe seeking consent from the family member to have that information out is the next best thing. Well, and I think Katie, you know, having been a family member of my mother lived in assisted living prior to, to her death and sort of my mother-in-law. And, and so having been that family member, I have to tell you, I wanted the team to know my mom. I wanted her fellow residents to know who she was. And sometimes HIPAA drove me nuts because of the things they, you know, they said they couldn't share. Well, if someone wants to know how my mom's doing, she's their friend and neighbor, please tell them. So having that information that's there on the Hard, I think for some families can be very reassuring to know that this is one more, one more bit of evidence that this is home that we are creating and not just, not just a place that we put mom, which is kind of that old institutional thinking. I love that. You're right. I love it. So, so much great information, but you know, we're always looking for more, no matter how much you <laughs> give us. So uh, what else can that, that compass 16 do? Oh my gosh. So this is, we're really excited about this. So for providers who are interested in knowing if they're meeting resident preferences, there's an option in Compass. So once you go through and you do the, the initial interview, you can come back through and do a follow-up interview where you ask the individual how satisfied they are that their preferences have been met. And so Compass will show which items are important to the resident. And so again, if somebody says that something isn't important to them, we skip it. We're only focusing on what's important. And so if somebody says, yes, it's important for me to be around animals such as pets, we wanna know, well, how satisfied are you that that preference is being met? And then it will produce a report for you. So think about, a, a imagine in your head a pie chart with red, yellow, and green areas. So green are the preferences that the resident is very satisfied with, um, that, that they've said, this is important to me, and the preference is being met. Yellow is an important preference that the resident is just somewhat satisfied with, and red indicates an important preference that is not being met. And so the idea behind this pie chart is that providers can use this information to inform the plan of care and then prioritize items for discussion during care planning meetings. Wow, data around engagement, something that is <laughs> hard, hard to find and yet we are in such need of. So such a pragmatic tool. And on and the other side of it, where you could put this all together the way you have, I am, I'm certain that it's something that will save time for providers. And we know that that is certainly one of the most valuable resources they have. But, you know, time's a valuable resource, but so's money. So is it true that providers can use this application and there's no cost? That's right. So again, we've been blessed to have generous grant funding and the grant funding has paid for its development. And so right now, Today, you can access the link through our website at preferencedbasedliving.com, and we'll put the link below this podcast for you to, to link to. Um, you'll look for Compass 16 under our resources tab, 
and it will take you to the link senior site where you can create an account. You start adding residents to be interviewed and then please reach out to us because we offer one to one training and coaching at no cost. So we have um, graduate students in gerontology who do this work for us. And so it's great training for them. They love to talk with, with providers. And so we want to help you again. And we want you to have the tools you need to provide the kind of care that makes you feel good at the end of the day. Wow. And so what else is up your sleeve? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know me too well. So we've also just launched a new quality improvement project for residents with moderate to severe dementia. And it's based on an evidence-based intervention called the Individualized Positive Psychosocial Intervention, or IPI for short. We love our acronyms over here. Um, and we're going to work with the first 45 providers who sign up and provide all the supplies necessary. Wow, cool. Tell me more. And how do I get to be one of those first 45? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So we know that direct care workers often find it challenging to engage residents living with dementia in day-to-day -day activities. The IPI guides direct care workers as they engage people living with dementia in positive ways that enhance well-being and address their behavioral responses. Um, we try and call those like communications of distress. Our research shows that residents experienced more pleasure, alertness, engagement, and positive verbal behavior with IPI activities. And we did a randomized control trial for this study. The idea is for direct care workers to be coached by an activity professional on delivering a short, think no more than 10 minute activity that a resident prefers. As part of this program, we've also developed a self-paced online course on emotion-focused communication. And so the idea behind this course is that caring for a person living with dementia, dementia requires a unique set of skills that are often not taught. This course teaches strategies that enable caregivers to better manage their own feelings and those of their care recipients. And the strategies are designed to build a stronger relationship and more positive care experiences for caregivers and the care recipient alike. Wow, we are in such need of this type of training. How long does it take to complete? Great question. So in total, it'll take about two and a half hours to complete, but it's broken up into six modules that each take about 15 to 30 minutes to complete. So it doesn't have to be completed in just one setting. Um, we're really proud of this course. It's interactive. We hired older adult actors to portray the emotions, you know, so that people could see what anger and sadness look like on an older face. And it may look a little different than on a younger face, just thanks to gravity, right? So people who complete the course will get a certificate that can be included on their resume or given to their HR department. Okay, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> and I have to tell you, one of the things I love about it, Katie, and for, for providers, I love the fact that you put it into 15 to 30 minute modules, because who has time? Um, to sit still for, for much more than that. So if I can find those 15, 30 minutes segments of time, how do I sign up? How, how oh, do other people sign up? You bet. So again, everything's on our website. So preferencebasedliving.com and under the resources tab, scroll down to the emotion-focused communication training. Um, or if you're interested in the IPI, you'll actually be going through the training as part of the IPI quality improvement project. So you can either sign up through the IPI or go directly to the training. Um, if you decide 
you know, again, that that you can't do the QIP, then again, you can just take that emotion focused communication training as a standalone training, even if you don't participate in the IPI. Wow, this is such a generous program, Katie. Um, I, I think there's so much to offer um, those who are listening here today. And, and we've got to get this out to folks to hear it. So if you're listening today, share it with somebody else. That's your challenge. Please do. Well, so on that note, Katie, I, you know, I, I always love talking with you. Each time we talk, I learn new things about the work you're doing, all the initiatives. Uh, it's the kind of innovation that's so needed as we move forward to grow the culture of aging and, and person directedness. Um, and the practical tools you provide can be such an asset to caregivers who, again, are so challenged in their daily life, trying to figure out how to do the right thing. And we know they want to do the right things, but they're just trying to balance it with the reality of the time needed to get everything else done in the course of a day. Agreed. So we really look forward to connecting again during our virtual learning circle. Maybe we'll get to do a little bit of a sneak peek of some of the websites that, that Katie was sharing with Absolutely, you. Absolutely, sure. So that could be part of our plan. Uh, and then we'll you know, bring that learning circle together and you'll have an opportunity to, again, learn more. You'll have an opportunity to explore the topic, engage in conversation with Katie um, and learn lots more and figure out how you can be one of those first people to sign up and be part of the IPI program. So we hope you can make plans to join us. We'll be here on Zoom on Tuesday, September 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be here for an hour. We hope you join us. The link will be included on Pioneer Network's website at www.pioneernetwork.net. So watch for it and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Joanne. I'm looking forward to it.